You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C.org. Now for this week's message. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, I hope you're excited to be here. I am excited to be here and starting off our new year. Uh, today, we are starting a new series entitled Cultivating Our Faith. And it's something that uh, we've been praying about as a leadership group, something we've been uh, thinking about, game planning for, and getting ready to follow and be faithful in the way that God wants us to lead, and kind of taking that next step in our vision. Uh, in the past year, we've kind of laid that out of cultivating and growing together, uh, grafting in relationships, cultivating uh, our roots, and also tending our needs. That's kind of been the direction that we're heading, and so this series ties into that in that way of cultivating our faith. Part of our faith journey and a big part of that is the way that we are able to live out and trust in God and have faith in God to do things that maybe we don't trust ourselves to do and to be able to fully rely on the things that God wants to do through us, that God wants to do in us. I think part of the step and part of our faith journey is to take a step that God wants us to take next. And that sometimes happens individually, but oftentimes that also happens collectively. Collectively. And through uh, the sermon series, we are going to hopefully collect a or take a collective step that stretches us, that grows us, that challenges us, that makes us feel uncomfortable at times. Uh, I know it'll probably make me feel that way. And so I think that that is part of the way that the Holy Spirit works, though, is if we stay comfortable, then we stop growing. It's only through our uncomfort, our being stretched, and going to places that maybe we haven't been before that we experience the most growth. And I think that is very true in our lives. And if you ask anybody who's ever uh, been a missionary and you ask them about the beginning of their faith process of following and going where God wanted them to go, uh, there is a part of that that is uncomfortable. There's a part of that that is very stretching. There's a part of that where there is crisis moments that only God can provide, that only God can get them through. But it's part of a journey that they can reflect back on and know for sure that God is with them and that God is going to go before them and to help them get to where they feel like God is taking them. You know, this is a series, like I said, that you will probably be uncomfortable at at some point. I hope you are uncomfortable at at some point, that you are listening and being willing to do uncomfortable things that maybe God puts in front of you or that maybe God challenges you to do. Again, not because I enjoy that, not because I like uncomfortableness, but because I think God, again, uses that to help us to grow. Uh, so that is kind of the disclaimer coming forward is that you will hopefully be stretched, that you'll be challenged, and through that process, your faith will be cultivated and grown. If we look at a uh, verse that kind of you, that we can start this series off with comes from Romans 1.17, and it says this, the gospel shows us how God makes people right with himself. That it begins and ends with faith. The scripture says that those who are right with God live by trusting Him. Again, if we look at this, it says that it begins and ends with what? Begins and ends with faith. And so that's our starting point and that's our ending point of being able to trust and fully live with God. Is having faith in Him. And so that's how we get close to God, right? Is by having faith in God. Uh, that's how we grow closer in our relationship. That's how we cultivate our relationship with God is by trusting in Him. The scripture says that those who are right with God will live by trusting Him. And that's a step that we all have to take in our journey of, of trusting God more every day. And I don't think we get to that point. I think most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are never to the point where we fully trust God. I think there's always moments of doubt. I think there's always going to be some type of reservation. I think there's always going to be some questions when it comes to that idea or that 
that, uh, that hope or that command here to trust God fully. I think there's always going to be some things because we're human that makes that challenging, that makes that stretching, that we have to really be intentional about trusting God more. I think that's something that includes all of us is we can all trust God a little bit more, that we can all have a deeper faith in Him. And in Hebrews eleven six, it says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So that is the reason why that we're going to spend some time in the next few weeks of trying to go through this series of cultivating our faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. I think that is something that we want to do as a church is we want to be pleasing to God individually and collectively. And so to do that, we have to grow our faith because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Sometimes those rewards come in a different fashion, in different forms, and I'm not preaching the health and wealth gospel here, but I think that whenever we trust in God, whenever we have faith in God, there's things that happen as a kind of a ripple effect as, uh, uh, that happen in our lives, that show up in our lives, that are changed in our lives when we trust in God fully to follow what His truth teaches us. Sometimes that comes in a form of a healthier relationship. Sometimes that comes in the form of being able to experience God's faithfulness. Maybe it comes in growing in our spiritual maturity. Maybe it just change in our, it changes our relationship and we're able to have more faith in God. And faith is one of those interesting things. If I ask everybody in here to define faith and what that's looked like in your life and how you have lived by faith in your life and you wanted to share a story about how you have lived by faith, we probably get a lot of different stories, and that's one of the interesting things about faith, is it's kind of like a gym that has all these different sides to it, all these different faces on it. And depending on where you're looking at it and what your lens is and what your focus is on, you're going to see a different side of that. You're going to see it in a different light, in a different way. When it comes to faith, in God. It has a lot of different faces. It has a lot of different ways to look at it. It has a lot of different ways that we can examine and study it. And faith is like a diamond. It's multifaceted depending on the way that you look through it. One of the ways that we are going to look at it today is this, that faith is seeing things from God's point of view. Faith is seeing things from God's point of view. And, and, you know, that is what faith can be, is seeing things from God's perspective. And God's perspective is often very different than our perspective. We have our own limited perspective, but God has a completely different perspective on the way that He sees things. The things that we go through in life, God sees differently than we do. The things that our neighbor is going through, God sees differently than we do. The things that we look back and learned about in history, God sees differently than we do. If you're looking at stories in Scripture, like Job and his suffering, God sees that differently than we do. And so it's important for us to be able to see things from God's point of view to have a deeper faith. Cultivating our faith happens at a faster rate if we are able to align and see things the way that God sees things, not as people see them. And some of the things that we can learn and some of the things that we want to remind ourselves is of what faith is not. Faith is not desire. Faith is not desire. It's not just, faith isn't just wishing or hoping for something that, that if I hope big enough or I wish enough or I rub or say the right prayers at the right time that God is going to do something for me. Faith is not that desire of wishing for something. Uh, it's not what faith is. Faith is also not pretending something is true that isn't true. You know, I can tell you that this is a, uh, you know, it's kind of a music stand, right? 
Just because I wish that it was a table or a countertop or that it was made out of gold, if I have faith enough that I wish that that would turn into something else, just because I have that or say that I have faith, that's not going to change it just because I desire or I hope that that will happen. Pretending something that is true that isn't really true is not a form of faith. There are realities to things, and just because we pretend like something isn't true doesn't change that fact. Faith is also not a feeling. And oftentimes, if you really think about it, faith is something, or feelings oftentimes actually get in the way of faith. If we feel a certain way about something and then decide, you know, based on that feeling that we don't really want to do that. Maybe we feel like I really don't want to go talk to that person that God has put on my heart. Maybe I just don't feel like waking up in the morning and reading my Bible, right? I just don't feel like it today. And so faith is not a feeling and faith oftentimes is delayed because of our feelings. So faith must move ahead in spite of our feelings. And if we're going to do what God wants us to do, sometimes it's in spite of our feelings. So faith is not a desire. It's not pretending that something is true that isn't true. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith is a way of seeing, seeing things from God's point of view. You know, if you think about things in life, there are different ways that we see things. You know, there, there are, uh, you know, the ways that we see them as humans, but there's also ways that God sees things. There are certain things that we can see in this realm. We can, you can see me standing up here. I can touch and feel this chair up here. These are things that are up here, but there's also something that happens or something that is happening around us, this unseen realm, if you will, of things that are just as real, but we don't see them. There is a spiritual world that is happening all around us. The Holy Spirit is in this place, whether we can physically see it or not. And so there's different things that can be seen by different people in different ways in different times. It's neat to see and it's awesome to have those things kind of revealed to us through scriptures. And in fact, we are taught to pray for those things. If we look at Ephesians 1:18, it says this, I pray that the eyes of your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can see the wonderful future God has promised to those he called. Like I said, there's this unseen realm that God wants to open our eyes up to if we're willing to trust in him, if we're willing to have that faith, if we're willing to see things the way that he wants to see us, that faith realm. And like I said, there's different times in scriptures that that window is opened up, that we're able to be able to see beyond that. You know, when God takes Abraham up and he opens his eyes to the night sky and says, I promise that I will give you all the descendants that outnumber the stars. He says that he opens his eyes to see that. When Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and he's talking with these strangers, it's not until he says a prayer and he breaks the bread that their eyes are open to who he truly is. In the Bible, I think some time ago, when we were doing our series on Elisha, we talked about the time where he and his servant, his servant was lacking faith and didn't, was getting scared and he was getting worried and he saw the physical realm, but Elisha prayed that God would open his eyes to see the unseen realm and to see all the spiritual angels that were in the army of God surrounding them. And to have that faith, to have his eyes opened. I think that's something that we need to pray for consistently is to be able to see God, things the way that God sees them, not as we see them, and to be able to see and be reminded of the glimpses of the unseen things that are happening all around us. So if you've been a Christian long enough, if you've had faith, you have seen God do some amazing things. You've seen things that other people might not have seen the way. God has opened up your eyes to see and to do things that maybe required a step or a level of faith that other people aren't willing to take. A good example of this that happens in Scripture that I want to teach from today is a reminder of being willing to have the eyes and being able to see the things that God wants us to see as He sees them. 
This comes from Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And it's probably not one of you, uh, not, probably, not a single person in here probably was reading that this week leading up to this series. And so Numbers is one of those books that we tend to get through as quickly as we can and don't dive into and don't dig into very often. But it has a lot of spiritual truth to it. So what is going on before this in Numbers 13 and 14 some background is that, that Moses has led the nation of Israel to freedom, right? God's done all these miracles. They sent all the plagues. They've done all this work to get them out of captivity, to get them and free them from slavery and to say that I'm going to take you to the promised land. They've been promised to it. They've been in captivity for 400 years. You would think at this point that they are ready to get out of there and they see God do all these amazing things, things that they had never seen happen before right? You have the 10 plagues. You have the fact that they just uh, got to the Red Sea and God parts that and they're able to go through it. You see them feeding and, and providing in miraculous ways. They get to see and follow God in a cloud or a fire, right? And so God is visibly in front of him, but they also see this unseen uh, image of God and the things that he's able to do, the things that he's able to provide for them that they had no idea God could do. And so God is building up this faith. God is building up this trust that if you just have faith in me, I will take you to places that you haven't been. I will help you to see things that you haven't seen. I can do things that you have never heard was possible. And so you'd think that as they see and they witness and experience these different things, that they would be more than willing to do anything that God asks them to do whenever God asks them to do. And you know, in this passage of 13 and 14, they're kind of moving at a slow pace through the desert to this promised land that God has told them that they, he is going to provide for them. It's been about two years and they finally get to the edge of the Jordan River. And God says, all right, up ahead is the promised land. It's right there waiting for you. Trust me, this is what I promised you. This is what I told you you were going to get to have. This is the land that you are going to get to live in. And so God tells them to send in some people to kind of go on this espionage uh, trip, to go in, to go see this land, and to, to kind of take notes, uh, to, to make a list of all the things that God is going to have for them in this place, what the things are going to look like, the cities that are there. And God says, it's all there. I want you to taste and see what I have prepared for you. And so they have these 12 spies that are selected by Moses and they go in and they visit the land and they come back, these 12 spies, and they have this mixed report. Two have the eyes of faith and 10 have these eyes of fear. You know, Joshua and Caleb are the ones that have faith. They trust that God said that he was going to provide this for them. So we can do it. We, it's amazing. I can't wait so that for us to all go in there. But unfortunately, the other 10 were a majority, right? And so they're talking about and they're explaining to everybody, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good things in there, but there's also some issues. There's cities, there's fortified cities, there's giants, uh, there's armies in there that we'd have to conquer we haven't really had a lot of military training, like none, in fact, right? We've been slaves for the last 400 years. We're not really, uh, we don't have the weaponry to go in there and do that. And so they have this fear. They have two that see with the eyes of faith and 10 that have see with the eyes of fear. And, you know, I told you two of the names, but uh, Joshua and Caleb, how many of you heard those names before? All right, so we said that those are two. Now we have the other 10 all right, uh, who can tell me any of the names of those 10 people? All right, Brad, you don't have any of them? Uh, Lily, are you raising your hand? Oh, no, scratch your ear at the wrong time. All right, okay, so this is the list of these 10 men. Uh, Shemua, Shaphat, Egal, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sether, Nabi, and Guel. And... You know, the point is that nobody remembers these negative guys. Remember the two guys that had faith, but these 10 men who were negative, who were resistant to it, who didn't trust in God, we completely forget their names. 
Even if we've read them in the past as you read through the Bible, they're not names that we stick, they're not people that we elevate, and we kind of forget about them. And that's the point, that nobody remembers the negative people. Nobody remembers the critics who are afraid and say things can't be done. The people that we remember, the people that we elevate, the people that we aspire to be like are the ones who have faith. Caleb and Joshua saw this place, the same one that these other 10 guys saw, the exact same location, the exact same cities, the exact same issues, but they have faith. And these other 10 guys have fear. Because they saw things with fear, they were only impacted by that. And because they come back and they give this report of fear, the 10 versus the 2, the people believe the majority. They side with the majority and they all have fear that spreads throughout the Israelite camps, right? All these people could have trusted the two that have faith but they side with the negative, the critics, and they have this fear also. And even though they've seen God do some amazing things with their own eyes, they're not willing to trust God to take them to the place that he has promised them. And they fail this test. And rather than God trying to convince them, and no, send 10, 12 more, I, I really trust me. Uh, here's my battle plan, here's my game plan. This, if you walk around this city seven times, uh, you're going to actually allow the walls to fall down. You guys are going to be able to do all these amazing things that I can't wait to do and show you. Uh, that doesn't happen. Instead, God says, since you don't have faith, you guys get to wander. All these people who didn't trust in me, your life is going to be spent in the entirety of this desert making circles. And you're never going to get to experience. You're never going to get to taste. You're never going to get to see the promised land. And we learn elsewhere in scriptures that at this moment, at this time, God had set everything up. Remember, he's the God of miracles. He's the God who destroyed and overcame the greatest nation of the time, Egypt. And the nations that were, that they were on the edge of this, the nations that these spies went into, they were terrified. And they were ready to surrender if they would have just crossed over. They were ready to hand everything over because they'd heard so much about this God that could destroy the Egypt army. They would have just taken those steps of faith. God had everything laid out and planned out and ready for them to experience this promised land. But instead, they saw things with the eyes of fear rather than faith. And so something that we can learn from this story and something that we should learn from this story is that whenever we have the eyes of fear, our lives look a lot different than when we have eyes of faith. And as we are trying to cultivate our faith, we want to avoid being fearful of things. And so let's learn what looking at and seeing things with the eyes of fear looks like. If we look at this, it's, it's, we exaggerate our difficulties. Remember, God had just delivered them from the most powerful nation in the world, and they're worried about this small little area, this small tribe of people who didn't even come close to the power that the Egyptians had. And so when we look at the things with the eyes of fear, the longer we look at the problem, the more exaggerated it gets. The more we look at the small things, the bigger it becomes. You can probably think about that in your own life where there was a small thing that you maybe critiqued about yourself and it grew into this big problem that kept you from doing things. Maybe it's something that nobody else even notices or cares about, but it was a small thing, maybe something a teacher said back in third grade or a boss said when you first started work that limited you or, or put you in a box and you allowed that to grow. And you exaggerated your difficulties or your limitations. In Numbers 13, 27 and 28, it says this. It's a magnificent, and again, these are the people who were living in fear and seeing things in fear. The ten that we forget, their names. It's magni a magnificent land, but. And when we have eyes of fear, there's always a big but in the way, right? 
And the people living there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and large. What's more, we saw Anakim, Anakin giants there. They're in the tribe of Skywalker, and the force was strong with... Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> a, that's a different story for a different day. All right, going back to this. The other spies said they'd crush us, so the majority report of the spies was negative. When it comes to our actions of faith, the majority report is almost always critical. It's almost always negative. And when they got to the edge of the Jordan, even though God was excited to allow them to experience that, when that negative report comes back, they change their mind. They're infected with this negative attitude, and these crowds become cowards that aren't going to trust this God who has led them through much more than what they are going to have before them. And in life, there's oftentimes more naysayers, always more critics, people who are fearful and resistant and who are going to hold us back than people who are willing to step forward. So that is the first thing that this does. With the eyes of fear, we exaggerate our difficulties. Another thing the eyes of fear does is that we underestimate our abilities. In Numbers 13.33, it says that we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them, right? How do they know how they appeared to them? They have no clue. They didn't go and talk to them and interview or take a poll of how do you view the Israelite army. Uh, they automatically assumed that they were these insects, Something that was insignificant, something that you can squash and that you can stomp on, something that's not going to make a difference. And so they have this low self-esteem of themselves as insects of who they are as a nation. And they are afraid that they're going to be eaten up, they're, they're going to be destroyed and spit out. And one of the things we tend to do is project our fears on those around us. They were slaves for so long that they had become mentally enslaved Enslaved not by a pharaoh, but by an idea of who they were, of their capabilities and what they could offer and what they could do and how they were viewed. They viewed themselves as these people who are failures, who couldn't do even what God had promised them. And that's a place that we can get sometimes when we underestimate our abilities, is that our primary identity is not our failure, it isn't the sin in our lives that enslaves us. Oftentimes we get to that point, right? Where we view ourselves and we underestimate ourselves. We only view ourselves through the lens of failure, of the things that we don't do, the things that we can't do. Maybe we just view ourselves as the person who can't beat that sin in our life that we've tried to overcome so many times. And because we can't do that, that we are a failure in God's eyes or a failure to other people because we just can never get past that hurdle. We can never get through that struggle. We can never get past that addiction. And so we see this and there was nothing I can do in that circumstance and so, so why even try because we have that view but that's one of the wonderful things about being a Christian that's one of the wonderful things about what could have been in this story is that our primary identity is not our failure our primary identity is our savior who struggles with that who is able to help us over come our sins no matter what entangles us no matter what enslaves us jesus has overcome it jesus has conquered it jesus has beat it jesus has washed that sin away and jesus identifies us as something bigger than how we ever see ourselves he says don't see yourselves in that light because i see you completely different your identity is in me, not in your weakness, not in the things that enslave you, because I can give you freedom. Next thing that we do is that we get discouraged. In Numbers 14, 1, it says, Then all the people began weeping aloud, and they carried on all night. 
Imagine instead of celebrating the new year that you spent all night crying. Not as much fun. Uh, that's what they did. They, they come to this point. They've left everything behind. They get to this place where they think they're going to see the, the promised land. And it's not what they envisioned. And they just cry all night. They have this huge pity party. And their fear keeps them out. We get discouraged when we have eyes of fear. We don't think that we can overcome the things that are in front of us. The next thing that we see in Numbers 14 too, it says, all the Israel, oh, I'm sorry, let me back up. We start to gripe about our lives. That's identified in 14 too. It says, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. We wish we had died in Egypt, they wailed, or even here in the wilderness. So they mourn and they murmur. They have this discontentment. And highly insecure people are oftentimes the most highly critical people. People who don't see themselves as valuable, maybe people who don't trust in their own abilities are oftentimes the ones that don't trust in other people's abilities either to get it done. And they're oftentimes the ones that will bring other people down. If you're insecure in our own self, instead of just keeping that insecurity to ourselves or people keeping that to themselves, they like to drag other people down with them. Maybe you've had that experience in your life with insecure people that you are trying to become better, you're trying to do more, but they keep bringing you down. And you hear them complain about how their lives are always in this place of discontentment. They mourn and they murmur and they just spend their times griping about what they can't do or they can't experience and they want everybody else to be in that place with them. When we have eyes of fear, we also eventually give up and blame God. In Numbers 14, 3, it says, why is the Lord, and they're blaming God, why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed with swords? We'd, better off, we'd be better off going back to Egypt. In this sentence, in this statement, they are declaring that they know more than God. And they're blaming God for being held back, for being where they really want to be, back in slavery and God told them to go, but they didn't really ever want to go, right? They were afraid of what God was going to lead them to, and they're remembering the good old days. Even though they were in slavery, that's what they want to go back to. It's slavery, but in their minds, it's safety. They knew where they were. They knew their position. They knew their place. They knew what was expected out of them. There wasn't any drama. There wasn't any dreaming. There wasn't any uh, uh, unknowns. It was slavery, but safety. There gets to our point in our lives sometimes that our slavery, that we become safe in our slavery as well. We can become enslaved by fear. We can become enslaved by relationships, by circumstances, by thoughts, by compulsions, by ideals. We don't really like it, but we know it's not the healthiest thing for us to be in, but it's safe. It's familiar. It's what we know. And so there's no real freedom without taking risks. If we want to break out of that fear mold, then if we want to really have freedom, you have to take risks. Moving more towards safety or moving more towards freedom is the choice that we really are making on a daily basis. As we live out our faith, as we live out our calling to God, we have these choices that we can move more towards freedom or we can move more towards safety. Where we like to be in our little box, we don't like to stretch ourselves, we don't like to grow. And so that is the place that we want to stay enslaved. But God says, if you want to experience true freedom, you have to break out of that. And you know, when you first trusted in God, when you first put your faith in God, that wasn't probably the easiest thing. There took this point of being able to trust, to, to take that risk that what the world says was different than what God was saying, that what the majority said was different than the minority that is speaking in you and telling you to trust in what God can do. You know, we oftentimes contrast the things that we see and experience with the world and what God, how most people see things and how God sees things. God, the people talk about what could be and God sees how those things will be. And so in our lives, as we work through things, as you struggle to take and cultivate your faith, as you're challenged with that, what do you want? 
Do you want to stay in safety? Do you want to stay in this place of fear? Or do you want to step out in faith? Do you want to experience the things that God might have in store for you that might be better, that might be amazing, but we have to take that risk? God wants us to take the risks, and he wants us to see that really when we trust in him, even though it may look like a risk to us in the physical realm, in the unseen realm, it's really not as big of a risk as we might tell ourselves. And God wants us to see things with the eyes of faith. Even though in our physicalness, in our eyes of fear, problems grow, if we have eyes of God, then our problems oftentimes shrink because God shrinks our problems. Our big God shrinks our problems. When we see things from God's point of view, those big problems become so small because you think about what God is able to do, the things that he has done and will do. Our problems are insignificant compared to the problems that God deals with on a a nanosecond, right? Think about all the problems in the world that God is dealing with. Our problems become so much smaller when we take a bigger look at the entirety of the world and creation and eternity. And so we come to God with our problems and trust in Him to help us through them. And we know that God can provide a solution even to our most daunting things. We may come to the Red Sea problems of our life and God can create a way through them. In Genesis 18, 14, it says this, Is anything too hard? the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? If you read the Bible, you know the answer in Scripture is no. Nothing is too hard for God. And so our problems shrink when we have eyes of faith. When we also have eyes of faith, we open a door for a miracle. Faith can move mountains. We're told in Scripture, God does miracles when people believe. You look at this story, God takes them out of Egypt. He provides a pathway for them. He provides this promised land in front of them. He feeds them. He takes care of them. He protects them in amazing ways. God does miracles when people believe. Moses didn't believe at first, but as he trusted and had faith and saw things the way God saw things, his life was changed. He experienced miracles that he never wished or imagined that he could have done. In Mark eleven twenty two and 24, it says this, Jesus said, have faith in God. If you have faith in God and you don't doubt, you could tell this mountain to get up and jump into the sea, and it would. Whatever you ask for in prayer will be yours if you only have the faith. God's talking about this ideal, and oftentimes, you know, going through schools, we're oftentimes taught the laws of physics, right? This defines the laws of physics. The fact that a mountain can get up and move defies the laws of physics. What Jesus is telling us, the things that we can see, the laws that we define things by don't apply to God. God works in an unseen way, and God's laws of faith overcome and usurp the laws of physics. Even though there's a law of physics in place there, God can make that or usurp that with the laws of faith. The laws of faith overcome anything that we might see or think is true. It allows Jesus to walk on water even though that shouldn't happen according to the laws of physics. According to the laws of faith, Peter joins him. When we look at this world through the eyes of faith, we can put aside the other laws that might hold us back from trusting or experiencing these miracles of God. Every time we stretch our faith, God is able to do miracles. If Peter doesn't have the faith to step out into that water, then he doesn't experience that miracle. If the Israelites don't have the faith to to leave their slavery, they don't experience those miracles. And really, that is the question for us in our lives, or what are the mountains in our lives that we see? What are the things that we don't think can be moved because of our fear? But God says, trust me. See things the way I can see. I can move mountains. Just have faith in me. Some of you may say, well, I don't see many miracles in our life. Maybe the the question isn't about whether God can do them or not. 
It's whether or not you trust God or not. God has proven time and time again the things that he can do if we have faith. Faith also unlocks all the promises of God. Do you know how many promises are listed in Scripture? Anybody want to take a guess? How many promises are there listed in Scripture? A hundred? Higher? Hundreds? Higher than hundreds. All right, good. Thousands is the ballpark. And anybody know how many thousand? More than 5,000. Uh, less than 8,000. There are 7,000 promises of God in Scripture. That's a lot of promises, and I'm glad God wrote them down because as a parent, I know I can't remember all those promises if I made those to my kids. But in scriptures, we can go through and find 7,000 promises of God. How many of you know all 7,000 promises? All right, they're in there, so the fault is our own, right? They are there, and if we want to be able to live out and trust God's promises, then we probably need to be reading some of those promises. Uh, we need to be able to, to trust in those. You know, if one of you was happening to, you know, clean out your attic, and you go into the attic, and you find this note that says, I will give you a million dollars, whoever finds this note. That thing only has value if we find out the person who authored that, if we find out the person who made the promise behind that. And if we can do that, then we can inherit that reward. We can look at the promises in Scripture, and fortunately we know who the author is behind that, and that he's good for the things that he says. The Bible and Scriptures are full of these blank check promises that God is ready to cash if we just have faith. If we look at those and say, God, you say this, you promise this, so I'm going to act on it. I'm going to live it out in it. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. He has said that he will fulfill those promises. Our faith unlocks those when we trust in him, when we read those. The other thing that our faith does is that it turns God-given dreams into reality. Nothing happens until we start to dream, when we start to trust. Ephesians 3.20 says, Glory to God, be to God, who by his mighty power is at work within us. He's able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of this infinite beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. God can turn our dreams into realities. And again, there's that blank check in there. What are you afraid to ask God for? What are you not willing to dream about God doing through you? What miracles are you not trusting or not having the faith that he can do? If we have eyes of faith, it allows us to understand this also, that God gives me the power to hold on in tough times. Some people think that just because you have faith or just because you trust in God, just because we become a Christian or a follower of God, that there's this promise that nothing bad will ever happen to you, that you'll no longer experience pain, that you'll no longer experience suffering, that you will have good health, that you will have wealth, and life will be the best that it can be. That is a misunderstanding about faith. Faith doesn't always take us in, out of our problems. In fact, oftentimes it puts us into more problems that we have to trust God to help us through. Faith doesn't take away the pain. It gives us a way to handle our pain. This world is never going to be heaven on earth. Things will never go perfectly. We will always have pain. We will always have suffering. Brad might always be limping, right? But that is part of the process. It's not because his faith is lacking. It's just because we live in a broken world and we have broken bodies. It doesn't mean that our faith has to be broken too. Corey Ten Boom said that the people who lasted in concentration camps were the ones who had the most faith. You know, Joshua, 40 years later, has that continued faith. He had faith at the beginning and he has faith at the end. And when the rest of the, the nation of Israel finally trusts and believes and has built up this trust that Joshua will be that leader, they finally are able to take that step. They went through 38 years of suffering, of pain, of trauma, of trials, but God was faithful to the end. 
And so 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9 says this, we are pressed on every side by troubles. This isn't what you expect to read in the Bible, right? We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed or broken. We're perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We're attacked, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up and we keep going. There's this resiliency factor of faith. Even though things might not go well, even though we might get hit, we might get beat, we might get shipwrecked, we might stumble, we might get lost, we might turn around, we might get blindsided by something, but that faith is that consistent forward motion of resiliency that if we trust in God, He will get us to where we are going. You know, Job goes through all that pain, all that suffering, all that loss, but who's there at the end? God. Who's there with him at the beginning? God. He goes through that and he sees this faith of what his faith in God can help him to go through. God doesn't promise everything to go right, but he promises that he'll be there right beside us. And when we see things the way that God sees things, we can understand that God can do miracles in our lives when we humbly expect him to. It's not this blind faith, it's this trust in who God says he is and that he'll fulfill the promises that he gives to us in scripture and that he'll help us through things. And one of the things that we see in life and one of the things we see in a few of the parables that Jesus shows is that oftentimes our rewards, if you will say, or the, our impact or our, our uh, you know, the, the amount of what we get out of our relationship and our, our faith is a result of how much trust we have in God. If we expect Him to do a little bit, then He's going to do a little bit. If we expect Him to do nothing, guess what? God's not going to do anything for us. If we expect Him to do a lot then, then God is able to do a lot. There are verses that talk about how Jesus wasn't able to do miracles in certain cities because they didn't have any faith. I hope that can't be said about our church, is that God wants to do things through us. He wants to bless us. He wants us to take us to this next level or help our faith to grow to these bigger and bolder and brighter places, but we just don't have that faith. We're not willing to trust Him. We're not willing to take that step. We aren't willing to do the things that God wants us to do. And so whatever we have faith that God will do in us, that is what we will experience. If we want to see God do big things, then we have to have big faith. If we want to experience blessings by God, we have to trust Him with all that we have. If we expect Him to do a little, He'll do a little. If we expect Him to do a lot, He's ready to do a lot. God is not moved by our complaints, by our criticisms, by our critiques. God is moved by truth and by our faith in him to trust that he will do what he says he's going to do. Sometimes that takes some growing. It takes a little bit. I mean, you don't go to someone who wants, if anybody made the resolution this year to work out and lose weight or get in better shape, uh, it doesn't happen one day. You don't show up at the gym and the next day you're this hulking person that you have in the picture, right? It takes that muscle buildup. It takes one day, and then the next day, and then the next day, and day 120, you might start to see some of the results you were hoping to see on day three, but you know, you're, the whole year it takes you to develop these muscles that maybe you want to see. It doesn't happen one day, right, Joey? You're, <laughs> that you had to put in that time, you had to put in that effort, that work to see those muscles. We won't have you come up and show those off, but you know, uh, he'd be happy to show them to you later. But he has gone down that journey in our faith. We have to develop those muscles, right? It takes that time to develop them. We have to develop our faith muscles, sometimes little at a time, but if we trust in him with the little things, we will eventually get to see the big things that God wants to do. God wants us to start cultivating a faith in our lives. So what can we do to start doing that? How can we start developing those? One of the ways that we can do is by in community, join a life group. Or if you don't want to join one that's already there and it doesn't work with your schedule, then I would encourage you to start a life group. Even if it's just two of you, even if it's just three of you, it doesn't have to be a group of eight or a group of ten. 
but we feel strongly that life groups helps develop and cultivate relationships. When we gather together, when we pray together, when we make a commitment to other people in this faith, in this family, then we can graft relationships and it's easier to cultivate our roots when we have people to talk to, we have people to pray to, we have uh, pray with, we don't pray to other people, uh, but pray with them to God. That's what I wanted to say. And it helps us to grow and cultivate our faith when we get to hear other people's stories of how they are on that journey or ahead of us in that journey. And so I create these weekly study sheets or these talk sheets that if you don't know where to start or don't have access access to, to something that you feel will help you cultivate that. We have some resources to share with you. Let me know. We'd love to add you to the email list that gets sent out. But join a life group, even as one or two other people beside you. Uh, uh, make that commitment to get in a, a life group. The next thing is to look up the promises of God. I would encourage you to maybe daily or maybe two or three times a day, look up and start reading through the promises of God. Spend some time in scripture, learning what God has promised to do in your life, and it'll allow you to read, and maybe if you see some, I would encourage you to memorize one of those promises every week. If you start to memorize the promises of God, you can recall those and use those to help you take that next step in your faith. So get into a better relationship with God by seeing what he wants to do in you and through you. You can't see the unseen things unless you see the world as God sees them. Those promises are a way for us to see how God sees. Another thing is be consistent in prayer. Ask God to give you faith and to remove your fears so that you can be stretched, so that you can be changed, so that you can be challenged. Be in prayer that God would help increase your faith. Be consistent in it. Be constant in it. And be faithful in it. Because if we do that, then we can also do this. Use your faith for goals of growing, giving, and going. Use these faith steps. Use these faith goals to help you grow, to help you give more, and to help you go where God wants you to go. And so that's kind of wrapping up where we're at, and that's your challenge for you to cultivate your faith and to do those things this week. And it'll help start this journey that we're going to go on together of cultivating our faith and what God wants to do in us and through us going forward. He wants to do big and amazing things, and I believe that. And he wants to do it through each of us. And if we have faith in God, we can experience promises that he has given to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for all that you do in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the examples and scriptures of uh, how to have faith in you. Lord, help us to not live in fear, but to live out our faith. Help us to be able to grow those muscles, to become who you want us to be, to develop that strength and that belief in you, to be able to trust you more wholly, more fully with all of our lives. Help us to be able to move the mountains that maybe are in our way, to be able to experience the rewards that you have in store for us. Help us to come to you humbly, to believe that you are our Savior, that you are the only one that can get that done. Lord, we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>